Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Uh, thank you, God, that you're God who speaks to us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to listen as we think about uh, our, the mission you have for us as your people. So, Lord, um, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a lot of, um, a lot of companies spend a lot of time on their mission statement. Do you know what a mission statement is? It's, it's that, that sort of summary of aims and values and direction where you want the company to go, that type of thing. They're quite fashionable. Uh, a lot of churches spend a lot of time on their mission statement for that matter. But a lot of mission statements quite possibly need more time, uh, more thought on them, or perhaps they need less, perhaps some companies probably should spend less time on them to make them a bit more simple. I like this, um, this Glassbergen cartoon I came across. I'll read the bottom first. The bottom says, I'm not satisfied with a new mission statement. I can still understand parts of it. <laughs> and then listen to this, see if you can follow what they're talking about. Manifest excellence beyond a paradigm of betterment of magnitude for implementation of probity and cohesion and coalescence and diversity of purpose steadfast beyond only by our prescience and predestination as we, that's right, as we gloriously emanate eminence for the divine unified triumph toward quintessential destiny. There's a, there's a mission statement, isn't it, hey? But I think there'll be some churches I've come across which have mission statements not far off that. Anyway... Now, what would you say? What would you say is God's mission statement for His church? Think about it for a minute. What's God's mission statement for His church? It's got to be fairly succinct. It can't be like that last cartoon we, we uh, heard. Have you got an answer? You got to. I tell you what we'll do. We'll do for a minute. I'll give you a moment to think, and maybe if you're sitting next to someone or behind someone, uh, maybe you can uh, share with that person what do you think it might be. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. What's God's mission statement for his church? Ready? Go. Just talk to the person next to you quickly. Phrase. Yep. I could give you background noise. Okay, that'll do, that's all you get. That's all you get, bad luck. Um, hey, why don't, you, why don't you call out a couple for me now? Just shout out some you came up with. What do you think? Continuous expansion. Okay, continuous expansion, thank you. Whoop, at the back. Let your light shine. Let your light shine, excellent. Stolen my thunder, that's okay. <laughs> he said go and make disciples. Another one? That's pretty good. There you go. Yeah. There's lots of good ones, aren't there? There's lots of good ones and um, uh, good for us to think about. Today what we're going to do is spend some time thinking about what I think is Jesus' mission statement for his church. Uh, it was read to us a few moments ago. Yes, Rod touched on it. Um, and it's not complicated. It's not convoluted. It doesn't even mention the words intentional or community or doing life, if, um, if, if I'm just being a bit cynical there. Uh, <laughs> Let's read it again. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them, that's the disciples, plus probably a few others, and said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Now, our plan today is this, is to spend some time thinking about these words of Jesus to his disciples as he sends them out. Uh, what, it's often called the Great Commission. And then, of course, what implications do they hold for us as God's church? Because these, these words are not just for missionaries being sent to deepest, darkest Africa, are they? They're words for you and I. They're words for all disciples of Jesus. They're words for God's church. And it's the Great Commission... Um, it's not the great suggestion. There you go. Good worth, that's worthwhile remembering as well. So let's note first, however, that this little paragraph is no uh, proof text for disciple-making. That is, we don't just jump to this and pull it out of context so to support what we want to say. That's what a proof text is. We see the context. And so as we think about where it fits in Matthew's Gospel and the Bible itself, this, um, this paragraph shouldn't come to us as a great surprise. So that's our first little point on your outline if you're following along there. Now in some ways I think this last paragraph of Matthew is, no disrespect to Matthew here at all, but this last paragraph of Matthew's Gospel is like the ending of a badly written novel uh, where you can pretty much predict the ending. You know those type of model, um, uh, novels or a bad movie like that. You're not very surprised by it. The term spoiler doesn't really apply. As, um, as we've read through the gospel, uh, the gospel of Matthew, this paragraph, this ending, should make sense. You see, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, is, is a climax of, uh, of a narrative movement that intertwines key themes of Matthew that have come up so far, themes of identity of, uh, of Jesus as the Christ, uh, discipleship, righteousness, authority, Teaching, those themes, it's the climax of, the, of a narrative movement, this little paragraph here. So the Gospel of Matthew has been leading us up to this point, this statement. And second, this commission is also the climax of Jesus' training with the Twelve. As well as baptising them, they are to teach new disciples to obey all that Jesus has taught them. That's what characterises making disciples. That is, the 11 remaining are to reproduce the process in which they, them, they have engaged with Jesus so that new disciples live under the lordship of, of Jesus, God's king. And thirdly, this commission is to, uh, to make disciples fulfills God's eternal purpose for the world to call a people to live under the lordship of Jesus, of his son. So all authority has been given to me, Jesus uh, says, from God the Father. So this commission here is pivotal in God's plan of saving the world, of sending disciples out, sending people out. So this, again, this paragraph doesn't come up out of the blue. It shouldn't for us. It fits into the context of not only Matthew, of Matthew's narrative, and perhaps you could read Matthew's narrative over the next couple of weeks to have a bit more of a feel for it, but it comes uh, very much in the context of the Bible itself and God's great saving plan to save the nations. So as we understand, to understand this um, it's directive, that's what a commission is, it's a, it's a directive to go and do something. As we understand this directive of Jesus and what it means for us, we need, we need to look not only to forwards to see how it's been fulfilled in the book of Acts, but we've also got to look backwards and think about how it fits into God's plan to save the world. Why were these disciples ultimately persuaded that the world beyond Israel, and that's the nations, 
Why were these disciples ultimately persuaded that the world should hear about the events surrounding Jesus and his teachings? For being so persuaded, it cost them their lives. It's, it was not just that they witnessed and participated in extraordinary events surrounding Jesus of Nazareth. What did they come to understand about the significance of these events in terms of what God was doing in the world? And so go out and tell others. That's the big question we're trying to grapple with. What was so significant? Now, a big part of that answer is that the disciples understood who Jesus is. We see that on the way through Acts, for example. They understood who it was who gave the commission to them, the one with authority to give it. That's who gave it, you see? They realised that Jesus is who he said he is, and so they simply must go and tell others. So understanding Jesus' identity helped them to understand the mission that they were given. Same for us. Understanding Jesus' identity helps us to understand the mission that God has given us. So the one with authority gives the commission. Let's think about that for a moment. The one with authority sends. Now, I was trying to think of an illustration of this, and must have been I found it a little bit hard, but I thought what, what, what might help is to think about these disciples as international spies. So think about that. International spies for a minute. I think, think 007. Don't, not Maxwell Smart. That won't help anything at all. Um, don't think, certainly don't go down the path of Austin Powers. All right, that won't help either. Think James Bond, um, Daniel Craig by far the coolest Bond, I would think you'd agree. Uh, Sean Connery maybe came close? Yes. All right. Certainly not Timothy Dalton. Who was he? I don't know. Um, Bond fans out there, if you know what I'm talking about. So think, think about these spies. Now, they, so Bond, think about James Bond. He's, he's uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. In fact, that was a Bond movie, wasn't it? I think back in the 70s. There you go. Excellent. George London. Yeah, okay, good, some Bond fans. Um, so that's, think about that for a minute. There's Bond on Her Majesty's Secret Service is sent to do the work on, of Her Majesty on her authority, right? So he can only do the work he does because of the Queen's authority. And Bond is well aware and clearly believes in, as a proud Englishman, the Queen's authority, <laughs> Jesus' disciples are the same. They can only do the Lord's work of making disciples because the one with authority has given them the task of doing so. So let's, let's flesh this out a little bit more. Jesus announces to the eleven that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to them. It's eleven because, because uh, Judas has gone by this point. Uh, but all authority in, in, in heaven and earth has been given to him. Through his death and resurrection, the Father has installed him as the ruler of the kingdom that he's been announcing throughout his ministry. So in Matthew, for example, we'll stick with Matthew, uh, Jesus has made the astonishing claim in Matthew 11 that all things have been handed over to me by my Father. A claim that he proves again and again through his miracles and a claim that climaxes in his victory and authority over sin and death on the cross, he dying as a ransom for many, Matthew 20. No other authority, whether human or godlike, divine, whatever, can save the world. So Jesus, these comments fit into the context of that. Let's think about Jesus' identity a bit more. Again, Matthew's Gospel tells us... Uh, well, three, three things of Jesus, three parts of Jesus' identity. Uh, Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God. Now, I've got lots of references on your notes if you go and want to look them up later on. Jesus' authority as Lord is revealed as he, as he fulfills the Old Testament promises of a coming Messiah. He's God's King, the Christ, the Son of God who's come. Matthew tells us all about that. But also the suffering servant. Again, there's references you can look up there, particularly ones from Isaiah. So Jesus is the suffering servant from Isaiah who brings salvation by dying as a ransom for many. Okay? Particularly taking up themes from Isaiah 53. He's the identity of Jesus. And uh, thirdly is the Son of Man. Let's, let's focus on that just for a bit longer from Daniel 7. So Jesus' astonishing claim to have all authority in heaven and on earth has unmistakable echoes from Daniel chapter 7. Uh, when one like the Son of Man comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, he is given, and I quote from Daniel 7 verse 13, he is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. This is who I am, Jesus is telling his disciples. And for the past three years, the disciples have seen it for themselves. Jesus has walked among them as the powerful son of man, healing the sick, raising the dead, teaching with authority, forgiving sins, and saying things like, I'll read from Matthew 25. If you've got any Bibles, just flick back a couple pages. Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations... Sounds a bit like Daniel 7, doesn't it? And all will separate people, and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And now, you see, back to 28 again, this last scene of Matthew's Gospel, and now in the presence of the Son of Man on, on this hillside in Galilee, they are seeing the fulfilment of Daniel's vision. Here is the man before whom all nations from every nation uh, all peoples from every nation and tongue will bow. So it's on this basis, the unique and supreme worldwide authority of the risen Son of Man, that Jesus commissions his disciples to make disciples of all nations. You see that? On that basis. You see, Jesus came as the climax to God's plan of salvation, to give his Son the Christ, the nations as his inheritance. The Great Commission is the means by which this mind-blowing plan is fulfilled. It's extraordinary, isn't it? If Jesus is the one with this unique authority, then the eleven must go and make disciples of all nations. All the nations belong to him, so go and tell them that he is the only one to follow in order to enter his eternal kingdom. Now, as a New Testament scholar, John Stott, has written lots of good things. If you read any John Stott book, you're better off for it. Um, John Stott writes this. It's a bit long, but it's worth reading. Have a look at it with me. The fundamental basis of all Christian missionary enterprise is the universal authority of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. If the authority of Jesus were circumscribed on earth, if he were but one of many religious teachers, one of the many Jewish prophets, one of the many divine incarnations, we would have no mandate to present him to the nations as the Lord and Saviour of the world. If the authority of Jesus were limited in heaven, if he had not decisively overthrown the principalities and powers, we might still proclaim to the nations... 
but we would never be able to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Only because all authority on earth belongs to Christ dare we go to the nations. And only because all authority in heaven is his have we any hope of success. Are you getting a bit of a sense of just the wonderful and extraordinary purpose that God has put us here on earth for if you're a follower of Jesus? Incredible, isn't it, I think? That the, the God of the, the, the universe, Jesus, with all authority, has given us this task. So what about us today then? Well, what's our commission? Well, we can just call it one word, discipleship. To make disciples, that's our commission. Now, what does this mission look like? What characterises the mission of making disciples? Is it running flashy, entertaining programs? Uh, Is it throwing ourselves into politics and being a voice of light in a dark world? Well, that's a good thing, it's not a bad thing, but it's not discipleship, is it? Uh, Is it running a youth ministry that focuses on games and entertaining teenagers, for example? No, no, that's, that's not what God's mission of making disciples looks like. So what characterises the mission of making disciples? Well, let's get a little bit technical for a minute, okay? Um, See in verse 19, there's actually one verb. There's one verb. So it's an imperative. It's a go and do this. And you've seen it there. It's make disciples. Go and make disciples. This verb has two participles. They're ing words, right? I-N-G. And they explain the action of this verb. And you see it's baptising and it's teaching. In other words, this is what characterises disciple-making. As we proclaim the gospel and people respond in repentance and faith, this is what should happen as a result. So baptism, of course, is never a means of becoming right with God, uh, being forgiven, being saved, being friends with God and so on. It's a consequence of coming to Jesus in repentance and faith making public what God has done in you, the change God has brought about in you from darkness to light, from enemy to friend. In fact, the term baptism here may not even refer to water baptism at all. Uh, It could well just mean to make clean, Uh, a bit like it's used in Romans chapter 6, if you want to go and read that later, if you're scribbling some notes down. Uh, Make clean, make new, change from death to life, in repentance, we turn away from idols. There's a change in our life. We're, we're made clean by God's Spirit working in us. So in other words, the consequence of becoming a disciple is being made new, being made clean spiritually. Uh, I guess you could put simply change. The second participle explaining the verb make disciples is teaching. A disciple is a learner. That's what a disciple is. That's what the word means. Uh, a student, someone who's taught, and Jesus is the teacher. We follow, we learn from the teacher as disciples. And what do disciples learn? So, In other words, what should we teach? And you can see it there in the text, can't you? Jesus says, teach them, teach to obey everything I've commanded. In other words, we teach them the words of Jesus. We teach them uh, the words of God. That, of course, includes the very words of Jesus at this point, doesn't it? making clear that this command to make disciples is for all disciples. Jesus' mission then is to make disciple-making disciples. Do you see that? I hope you do. (laughs) To make disciple-making disciples. That's Jesus' mission. That's what he calls disciples to do. 
Now, what characterises the mission of making disciples? Well, it's the word being taught and people changing. That'd be a fair summary, wouldn't it? The word being taught and people changing, being made new as a result. That's the heart of discipleship that we see Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Well, how then are you engaging in God's mission? What we've seen today is that God doesn't call us to be spectators sitting in the stands. Uh, He calls us to participate. But of course, there are lots of ways you can participate. From running the water, (laughs) from marking the lines, to playing up front and making all the tackles. Who knows? You can keep that analogy going in your own heads if you want to. Um, Perhaps as you take your place in the team, well, you're just taking that one more step. Remember we talked about that in our Jesus Is mission? You're just taking that one more step as you share the gospel. So that one more step might look like this. You've invited someone to read the Bible with you. Um, It might look like this. You've invited someone to, to lunch, to chat, and get to know them a bit. You've invited someone to church. Or you're just taking that one more step and you're taking that opportunity to continue the conversation about Jesus rather than shutting it down. We we can all do that, can't we? This is a bit awkward. I'm just going to shut it down. Let's talk about sport. Um, (laughs) That type of thing. Remember from Romans 10, we read it before, uh, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You know, just being part of a Bible study group or a community group, we're calling them, is not only the heart of discipleship here, but it's where we pray about, it's where we talk about, it's where we implement mission. So don't miss being part of that. Maybe you're reading a good Christian book about mission or evangelism and you're talking about it with, uh, with some friends about what you're learning. That's great. Perhaps you're praying for our CMS Link missionaries. We all should, shouldn't we? Uh, Wayne and Mandy, there's a new prayer letter went out. I am out to everyone uh, during the week. Um, Pray for them. Uh, That's how we can engage in mission. Are you someone who prays and asks God for things? We should pray. Ask him to grow his church, both here and elsewhere. Pray for that. Uh, Pray for CMS. It's a way we can engage in mission. CMS, the Church Missionary Society, um, a lot of our missionaries from the Sydney Diocese who go through Moore College and SMBC go, through, go to CMS. Uh, Pray for Compassion Australia. It's a good Christian organisation um, that sponsors children and does a lot of good work um, on the basis of, of their gospel belief. Pray for our diocese. There's a bit of a, we're going to have a bit of a funky time in, um, in uh, Synod this week, I reckon, if you've been following the news. Um, I'll tell you more about it if you like, uh, but it's, it involves how we use our buildings and on the back of the same-sex marriage debate, it's going to be very interesting. If nothing else, pray for wisdom and godliness and pray that the word of God goes out and doesn't get distracted by things about how we use our buildings. Pray for mission in our diocese. Pray for mission that God would be making disciples. We've got to be praying. Well, friends, um, the the first disciples were persuaded to give their lives for this mission because they worshipped the one who came with all authority according to the scriptures. Through their spirit-inspired witness, we worship the same Christ. Can we do anything less than give our lives for this same mission, that the nations might be blessed through God's King, who suffered as the faithful servant to be raised as the Son of Man with all authority? How about we pray, and uh, we'll pray again in in a minute too, but let's pray about what we've read 
this morning and heard. Father, we, uh, we do thank you that you're a God who um, uh, sends and you sent Jesus to this world uh, to tell us and, show, and, and make salvation possible, friends with you rather than enemies. Um, Lord, we pray as Jesus now sends us by his spirit, we pray that we would be in the business of making disciples, making disciples. So that, Lord, we will, um, uh, we will get on board with your mission. We won't be spectators. We'll get involved and participate. Help us work out how to do that. Maybe conversations over morning tea will help us with that, Lord God. We, we pray that you'd open up that. Uh, Lord, thank you that you, sa- you sent your son to die for us so that we might live and be right with you. And we thank you for the church that you've put us in. We pray that you would continue to grow this church, not only for people coming to know you, but also as we come to trust in you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.